He offered his life in reparation for the sins of priests. Welcome, everybody. Steve with Sons Fidelum coming at you with a pre a story or a podcast, whatever you want, a conversation about a priest on the Feast of All Saints Day, more or less, that you may or may not know is from the great country of Ireland, where our guest, the president of the Fowler Willie Doyle Association, resides, Mr. Pat Kenny. Welcome to the program. Thank you for coming on, sir. Happy Feast Day. And uh, yeah, glad you're here. Happy Feast Day to you, and great to talk to you and all your listeners. So, this guy, Father Willie Doyle, I heard about him uh, from a couple lectures that the Transalpine Redemptors did on their channel. Uh, read about him in a couple books. I think I found your your website. Uh, then led me to a book called Mary and God. It's an incredible story. Why did you pick up on him? What? Why do you care so much about him? And why should we? Well, the reason we should care so much about him is because he's a tremendously relevant figure for us today. Even though he was killed in the First World War 105 years ago, he, he couldn't be more relevant. And we'll get into that later on as we talk about him. If I was to give the summary of, of who he is, I would say he was a man, a priest, a Jesuit priest, who loved God and his neighbor so much that he was willing to be killed to save a soul or to save a life. And uh, he, he was a remarkable man to whom there was a huge amount of devotion in the first part of the 20th century. And it has really come back. And he is, as of right now, the most recent, perhaps, or certainly one of the most recent servants of God in the church, uh, because we've just had an announcement that his cause is going to be opened, which is a, a, an occasion of great joy uh, for many of us who, who have a devotion to him. And um, how did I hear about him? Well, about 12 years ago, a friend of mine recommended that I read the original classic biography of him by Alfred O'Rahilly, which was published in 1920, just three years after Father Willie's death. It ran into multiple editions into all the major languages in the world. And uh, I was just blown away when, when I read that book. Uh, I read a lot of Lives of Saints. And when I read The Life of Father Willie, it just struck me that this is a man who can, in my opinion, stand in the company of the greatest of saints. And I know that that's a, a big, big claim. But when you look at his life, look at what he did, look at his spiritual life in particular, um, he, he just amazes me and has amazed many other people, including canonized saints. So I'm excited to share his story and I'm really excited that his cause is going to be open very soon. Yes, and that was one of the delays. I was trying to, I re, uh, for full disclosure for everyone out there, I reached out to Pat a year ago, maybe, and things just got delayed. I didn't know why, but he was like, let's not do it now, let's not do it now. And then he calls me up yesterday, let's do it now. And it's because the canonization process is now open up, which is glorious. Um, I guess, how did you pull that off for anybody that's thinking, you know what, I need to do that too, is... Is there like a rhyme or reason? Is there a process that you had to go through for this? Well, I mean, I'd say it's it's really a moment of of providence. I mean, if you know, I I, I believe God wants to bring forward Father Willie right now. Um, to go back in, into history, you know, there was big big devotion to him in the twenties and thirties after the Arahali book came out. By nineteen thirty one, there were over fifty thousand letters that had been received by the Jesuits in Ireland, hmm. uh, inquiring about him talking about the devotion people had to him, and over 6,000 letters alleging favors through his intercession. Um, and they came from all over the world. I think there's there's close to 1,000 of those letters came from the US, um, certainly a lot from Ireland and the UK, uh, but all across Europe, 
uh, Africa, Asia, Australia, etc. Huge, huge devotion to him. And uh, there was a, a debate about whether his cause should be opened in the 1930s. And in fact, you know, Ireland is, is called the land of saints and scholars. And we might, you know, question whether we still hold that position. Um, but going back 100 years ago, there were a lot of very, very holy men and women in Ireland and a lot of very holy Jesuits. And there were four potential candidates for canonization in Ireland from the Jesuits at that point in time in the, in the 1930s. And uh, it was decided at that point to proceed with the cause of John Sullivan, the father John Sullivan. He's now blessed John Sullivan, who was beatified in 2017, a, a remarkable man. Um, his, his father had been Lord Chancellor of Ireland, uh, Church of Ireland. He converted, uh, became a Jesuit uh, and lived a remarkably humble uh, and holy life. And there were many miracles associated with him during his life. So that was the cause the Jesuits at that time decided to proceed with. But in relation to Father Willie, they said, we'll leave it to Providence and see what will happen. And uh, the devotion never died out. It has continued. And when I read the book by Alfred O'Reilly, um, I just started a, a blog, uh, putting up a quote from Father Willie every day. Um, I just felt prompted to do that. And uh, I suppose things gradually developed and, and grew from that. And two years ago, we founded the Father Willie Doyle Association. And um, we, with the support of the Jesuits in Ireland, and uh, we approached a bishop here who was willing to open a cause and is very enthusiastic about it, thank God. Um, so it's also an interesting story because this is the first time that a lay group has formed in Ireland to promote a canonization cause. So we have the status of a private association of the faithful in canon law. Um, so we're the petitioners or the actors for the cause, uh, which means that we have the moral and also the financial responsibility for the cause, which is a, a big responsibility in many ways. And uh, we're just excited to talk to as many people as possible because we need as much help as possible in, in every dimension of our work. And you can see as you look at the website there, um, certainly people can click on there to join the association, uh, to ask for prayers. And we get many, many requests for prayers through Father Willie's intercession. If you have favours to report through Father Willie's intercession, very important because we're looking for miracles. Um, but also a very important button there, if you don't mind me saying so, that says donate because the process of having someone canonised is is not cheap. So any help anyone could give, we're, we're delighted to receive it. But prayers especially very, very important for the success of the work and also for those who are sick if they need a healing. So who was, I mean, he was, was he just a regular guy at the beginning, just born in a normal family? I mean, how, how did he come to be? I mean, we know he was military. We'll get into some military yeah. stories later, the war stories, which are just fantastic. But uh, how, how was he growing up? Yeah, so he, he was born in Dublin in 1873 and he had a pretty ordinary childhood. I mean, he, he, he did grow up in a, in a well-to-do um, family. Uh, the family had servants. His father worked in the high court in Ireland and his father was an interesting figure as well because he worked there for 73 years. Very, very strong work ethic. He started as a teenager and retired in his 90s. And I think Willie inherited some of that very strong work ethic when we consider all that he did in his few years as a priest. And um, he was an ordinary boy who loved sports, uh, swimming, fishing, sailing, loved playing soldiers. But the one unusual thing about him was he had this very precocious charity, this uh, concern for others. And, uh, you know, as I said, the family had servants. He would get up early in the morning to do the work of the servants before they were up. Sometimes he would light a fire, clean the dishes. And there were poor people in the area, even though the area he lived in was was quite a comfortable area. And it is now what we might call 
I don't know, the um, the Bel Air of, of Dublin or whatever. A lot of, of the movie stars and musicians live in, in Dalky now. Um, but there were quite a number of now people Now I got the there. first Prince plane in my head. That's right. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, Bono lives there and various other people. So um, Willie would go and visit the poor. Uh, he would he would bring them food. He would clean their houses. He would paint their houses. There was one occasion where there was a a, a man who had he was an alcoholic, I believe, hadn't been to mass or confession in many years, and he was dying. He didn't have anyone in his family. And I'm not sure how old Willie was at the time, but he stayed at that man's bedside for many many hours, praying for him until finally he said, "Okay, get the priest." And Willie ran off to get the priest, and. Um, uh, that was a kind of early insight into his missionary character, his zeal for souls. Uh, even as a young child, he was he was doing that. Um, an interesting thing about him is that even though he was loved sports, loved fishing, swimming, etc., he had a somewhat weak constitution and he had a digestive complaint. Um, we're not quite sure exactly what that was, but that's something that stayed with him throughout his entire life, even when he was in the trenches of World War One, which is a really interesting. Uh, kind of kind of unfortunate thing to think about that that, that was a cross he carried um doesn't really bear thinking about i suppose that that might have affected him in in the war um his family were very religious uh seven children willie was the youngest of the seven and four of them had priestly or religious vocations hmm. uh, his next eldest brother charlie doyle um he became a jesuit he had a, a sister who became a nun i think she was a sister of mercy um, and one of his older brothers was a diocesan seminarian and deacon, and he died about 10 days before his ordination. He was in Rome, about to be ordained, and he got a fever, and he died. Um, and uh, Willie, I suppose, felt called to be a priest, um, even as a boy, and uh, he wanted to be a diocesan priest, didn't want to be a religious at all. And uh, he went to visit his older brother, Charlie, who at this point had entered the Jesuits. And um, he, you know, his brother, Charlie, was trying to convince him to be a Jesuit and he had no interest in it at all. And he said, look, I'd, I think he went so far as to say, I think I'd rather be shot than stay in this sort of place here. I didn't want to stay there at all. But his brother gave him a copy of um, a book on religious vocation by Alphonsus Liguri. And he read that and that completely changed his mind. And he decided, yes, he wanted to be a priest, but he wanted to enter a religious order. And he entered the Jesuits uh, with his with his brother. And that was in the Diocese of Meath in uh, Novitiate was in a place called Tullabeg in a town called Rahan in the Diocese of Meath. And it's the Diocese of Meath uh, that has agreed to open Father Willie's cause. He entered religious life there in that diocese. And there were two very important things that happened in the diocese, and you have one of them there uh, in front of you. He signed a, or he made a, a, a vow or an offering of his life to Mary. I think he was 20 years old at the time. And he says in this offering of his life, he says, Darling Mother Mary, in preparation for the glorious martyrdom, which I feel assured you are going to obtain for me, on this the first day of your month, I solemnly commence my life of slow martyrdom by earnest hard work and constant self-denial. With my blood, I promise you to keep this resolution. Do you, sweet mother, assist me and obtain for me the one favor I wish and long for to die a Jesuit martyr? This is the type of aspiration that he had as, as a 20 year old. And in fact, we can see in that image there on the website, uh, two little thumbprints of, of blood where he uh, kind of made that offering. And other saints have done the same. Saint Therese, who interestingly, he was 
a close contemporary of who was born the same year as her. She was born in mm. January 1873. Willie was born in March 1873. So really close contemporaries. Uh, she also uh, signed oblations and so on and marked them with her blood. So that was a, a kind of common thing at that particular point in time. But the other interesting thing that happened to him uh, in the novitiate is that the, the novitiate building went on fire and uh, he had to evacuate from the building and help put the fire out. But it had a big impact on him and we're told that he had what's called a complete nervous breakdown. We're, we're not exactly sure what, what that entailed. Is it some sort of post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever? But he had to leave the Jesuits for a short period of time in order to recuperate. And there was a question mark as to whether they would take him back. Because remember, at this point in time in Ireland, there is no shortage of vocations. It's not like now, no shortage of vocations. Lots of young men entering the Jesuits and other religious orders. And so it was somewhat unusual that he would have been taken back after that. Um, and I think it's a sign of, of how the Jesuits at the time saw the quality of, of the young Willie Doyle. But what's really interesting is if you take this young man who had this nervous breakdown at the age of 20, and fast forward just over two decades later, we find him in the trenches of World War I as a war hero. I mean, he won medals. Uh, he was recognized by everyone, including secular historians who look at the role of the Irish in World War I. As a, as a hero, as a rock of strength, uh, he did incredible things, put his life on the line again and again, and he did it all with joy and with serenity. And this is a remarkable transformation that we see in his life. And I think that's a really important message for us today, because certainly in Ireland, but I think in many other countries in the world, um, many, many young people suffer with depression, anxiety, worry, fear. Um, and I think he's important in an important role model and also intercessor for anyone who's suffering from, from anxiety. Thanks for that. The book is the brother write it, Mary and God. Mary and God, yeah. So so that was written by his brother Charlie Doyle. Um he published it anonymously, so it's not it's not, I suppose, well known or publicly known that it was Charlie Doyle, but it was his brother Charlie Doyle who did it. And it's a, it's an excellent book. It's um it's somewhat derivative of the original O'Rahilly book, but the O'Rahilly book is quite heavy very, very detailed. Uh, but Charlie goes into more details about their youth together, their their time in, in mm -hmm. talk and their, you know, what they got up to as boys. That's really the 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 clue that you know that it was Charlie because no one else could have known yeah. uh, things that, that they got up to. Father uh, Doyle, had, had, he wrote all kinds of different things, retreats for men, uh, working men. Um, uh, there's that other book you have on your website. Uh, you showed me off screen. I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, Daily Meditations. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, in terms of what, what Father Willie wrote, so uh, he wrote a book on retreats for working men. Uh, that was something he cared a lot about. Um, he also cared a lot about vocations, uh, religious and priestly vocations. So they would be the three, I suppose, biggest and best-selling booklets that he wrote, um, uh, Shall I Be a Priest, Vocations, and then Retreats for Working Men. And I suppose this shows his universal concern for all states and life, as it were. Uh, big, big concern for vocations and religious life. Um, and they had a huge impact. I mean, they sold hundreds of thousands of copies during his life. Um, he promoted vocations assiduously. And this at a time when there were many vocations in Ireland, so much so that um, it was sometimes hard to get young women into convents, for example, because the convents were full. So we would help them find places in England, 
in North America, South Africa, Australia. Um, I once received a letter from a retired priest in England who had been a soldier in the Second World War. And his chaplain in the Second World War gave him one of Father Willie's pamphlets on vocations. And he read that and it decided his mind to be a priest. He decided to be a priest based on what Father Willie wrote. And some years later, he met the chaplain and he said, look, I want to thank you for giving me that pamphlet from Father Willie Doyle. It's the reason I'm a priest. And the chaplain said to him, that's interesting because I know at least 11 other soldiers who became priests from reading that pamphlet. Oh, wow. And I know of at least three people in the last 12 months that are entering religious life based upon uh, those pamphlets even today. And there's probably more that I don't know of. I know of one in, in the US, one in Scotland and one in Ireland, probably others. Um, so they had a huge, huge impact. His other big concern was uh, working men. Uh, and he realized that workers were, um, I suppose, being tempted by different ideologies coming along in the early part of the 20th century. Um, and it was also a period of time in which only priests and nuns went on retreats. So Father yeah. Willie had this concern for everyone is called to be a saint. Everyone is called to be holy. And he was a missioner. He traveled around and gave missions in Ireland and he knew the importance of the, of the mission in the parish. The parish mission was really important, but he felt it wasn't enough and he wanted to go further. And he felt that only a residential retreat would be able to turn these men into apostles. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted these men to become apostles to other workers. And so he worked very hard to get retreat houses set up. He traveled around Europe to discover what, what others were doing in that area. And he wasn't successful in his life. Uh, he wasn't able to get it set up. He met, he said himself, with a, a lot of cold baths. A lot of a lot of people weren't necessarily supportive of it in Ireland at the time. He he did. Um, they did find a building for him, and they did set him up as being the director of the first working men's retreat house. But it was burnt down by the suffragettes. I'm not quite sure. This was a kind of. Um, uh, well, I won't go into the history of suffragettes. We'll get we'll get distracted if we do that. But the house was burnt down, uh, unfortunately, for no particular reason other than it was a house that could be burnt down. Uh, so it didn't get set up in his life, and it was set up after he died, kind of in in, in memory of him. Um, he also wrote a book on the rubrics of the mass. Uh, that's on the website as well, and a book that was produced from notes he had taken. Um, it was produced posthumously. Uh, after he died, and a lot of people have benefited from that book, is uh, one called Scruples and Their Treatment. And uh, still, people can suffer from scruples today, but 100 years ago, I suppose, it was uh, maybe a bigger concern. Maybe the pendulum, you know, swings in different directions in different years. Yeah, makes sense uh, to be read Alphonsus, that Alphonsus yeah, would... Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So... Um, that a lot of people have been helped by that book on, on scruples under treatment. What's interesting is, you know, Father Willie lived a very, very austere life himself. But what we see in this book is his gentleness and his, his pastoral concern for those suffering from, from scruples. Um, you know, very austere himself, but very, very gentle with others. And that's a really important part of his, of his character. How did he get in the military? Okay, so well, before we get into that, just to say he, he was ordained in 1907 uh -huh. and he was ordained alongside John Sullivan, who was beatified in, in 2017. Um, so, um, you know, it's interesting to, to Jesuits whose, whose uh, causes for canonization are open, ordained together on the same day. Is that the same Sullivan who wrote all those little booklets? 
No, no, no. That's I think that's a Paul Sullivan who's a Dominican. Oh, yeah. So, so John Sullivan, really, really well-educated man, but he didn't write anything. Was just live a really humble, humble life. Uh, tried to hide away from from publicity and so on, you know, and worked in a school in a local area, a lot of devotion to him here in Ireland. Um, but what Father Willie wrote, I just want to read this because it gives a, a sense of the man. On the morning he was ordained, he said, um, it's 28th of July, 1907, he said, my loving Jesus, on this morning of my ordination to the priesthood, I wish to place in your sacred heart in gratitude for all you have done for me, the resolution from this day forward to go straight for holiness my earnest wish and firm resolve is to strive with might and main to become a saint. And that was the aspiration he set out with. And he, he died almost exactly 10 years after that, just 10 years and a few weeks after that. Um, and that his entire life after ordination was based upon this going straight for holiness and trying to become a saint. So he spent a year uh, on a tertian year. It's like a second novitiate year that the Jesuits do. And then he spent... Um, a little bit of time working in one of the Jesuit schools and then he was put on the Jesuit mission team where he traveled around giving preaching parish missions it was a well-known retreat master retreat director spiritual director um huge amount of stories about his his effectiveness as a missionary the impact he had on parishes on towns when he visited them uh we could talk about that if you want but uh incredible incredible impact um he was a well sought out spiritual director sometimes getting dozens of letters a day uh, for people looking for his advice. He founded a poor Clare convent in, in Ireland, in, in Cork City. Uh, he was the head of something called the League for Priestly Sanctity in Ireland. Big, big concern for him, uh, the holiness of priests. Um, a lot of other things like that. But the war came around along in 1914 and he volunteered to go as a chaplain. And there's a couple of reasons, I suppose, why he volunteered to go. Um, one was his love for working men. He he wanted to um, go and uh, be with the working men when they were facing uh, facing death and in their really tough moments in the war. But he also wanted to go because early on in life he wanted to go to Africa as a missionary. He wasn't accepted for that, so he had this driving missionary zeal and wanted to go out, go go. I suppose. Into forlorn places to be to be the gospel there to be a light to others in those circumstances, um, and he also I suppose wanted uh, to suffer. You know, he was a very mortified priest, very austere priest, and was had this desire to be a martyr. And he realised all these things could be combined if he was to be a chaplain in the war. And uh, describing his decision to be a chaplain, he wrote, "I volunteered for the front as military chaplain." though perhaps I may never be sent. This was before he was accepted. He said, naturally, I have little attraction for the hardship and suffering the life would mean, but it is a glorious chance of making the old body bear something for Christ's dear sake. This much my offering myself as chaplain has done for me. It has made me realize that my life may be very short and that I must do all I can for Jesus now. And so he went out, accepted as a, as a chaplain in November 1915, and he spent just under two years there as a chaplain, and he was killed in August 1917. He had the rank of captain, as chaplains did, and uh, he's a very, very prominent figure in terms of just even secular history of Irish involvement in World War One. If you pick up any book about the Irish in World War One, Father Willie Doyle is definitely a, a prominent part of that. Um, and why is he a prominent part of that? because he just wrote so many letters home, particularly to his father. Um, and that's the extraordinary thing. He's he's living in a trench, living in a dugout in a trench, 
there's mud everywhere, there's rats everywhere, there's yeah. snow, there's ice, there's searing heat, um, there's shells falling. He's in danger of death. And in the spare moments that he had, when he wasn't with the men, when he wasn't praying, he's writing letters home to his father. And the letters are filled with so much joy, so much happiness, so much good humor. It's just mind boggling. I mean, for me, well, I, I, I wouldn't have volunteered to go myself, you know, but if I was there, I'd probably be hiding in a corner of the trench, shivering or trying to get as much sleep or rest as I could. And here you have this guy writing these joyful letters home. Uh, it's a real sign of the grace and the joy of the Holy Spirit that he had being there in really horrible circumstances. Well, just like uh, in Mary with God, and I think you talk about it, is that when he, he finds like a, either half dead or dying guys or dead guys, and uh, he's just nonstop, back and forth, smiling. Uh, I think he anointed them with the sign of a cross, and we just keep doing it. It was just com completely, I mean, without sleep sometimes, uh, yep. gas mask on, forget the, or he forgot a gas mask one time, and uh, the yeah. events are yeah. just yeah, how do you smile? How do you look and go, yeah, I'm happy. I'm having a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, was he, he, he didn't like the war. I mean, let's, you know, he, he firstly, he, right, he right. wanted peace. He didn't like the war. Um, he said on one occasion, look, you know, if the people at home knew what we are suffering out here, they would, they would call for an end to the war. I mean, it was the first industrial war, uh, very different to all other wars before then. Uh, in terms of the... Uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of shells that, that were fired, some of which they're still finding today, live shells in, in that theater of war. And they've got to be careful when, when they're dug up. Um, gas shells that are unexploded that, you know, who knows what they could cause if, if they exploded now. Um, so so a horrible war, he hated it, but he he saw it as an opportunity to love God and to love others. And he had... Um, it's 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 really interesting if we look at his character because he had a really really strong will, very very strong willpower, um, and like a lot of virtues, there can be a another side to the coin. So people with very strong willpower can sometimes be short tempered, uh, or sometimes be a little domineering, and he viewed all the circumstances of the war as opportunities to mortify that aspect of his character, where he was maybe a bit impatient with others. Um, he, he saw all the bad things happening around him as opportunities to offer up to God to try and mortify those particular vices and to grow in holiness. Um, he once described it as a glorious chance to, to grow in holiness. Um, he was involved in some of the major battles, the Battle of the Somme, the Battle of Messine Ridge, uh, the Battle of Ypres, the Battle of Passchendaele in which he was killed. Uh, he won medals for his for his bravery. He nearly died on several occasions. As you said, he was caught up in a in a gas attack, um, helping men who were gassed and, and nearly dying. Um, he had a universal care, uh, not just for the Irish soldiers, not just indeed for the Catholic soldiers, but also for the non-Catholic soldiers from Northern Ireland. And that's a really interesting part of the story mm -hmm. because historically in Ireland, we have this division, we have this kind of, uh, complex relationship with with England uh, and a division in Ireland uh, in terms of Catholics and, and Protestants or Church of Ireland or Anglicans and there were two Anglican soldiers uh, that he went to rescue when he was killed so he's a really interesting figure in terms of 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 um, the universality of charity you know that we are to love all irrespective of who they are and uh, he certainly looked after German prisoners he wrote home to their families 
uh, and gave pastoral care to them as well. So uh, really, you know, remarkable and loving figure. I mean, I he described a story where he gives a prayer to his boys, as he calls them. And uh, somebody stepped out of a rank, and grabbed his hand and said, thank you for that prayer. And I'm not Catholic, but thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of them would. Um, you know, the non-Catholics would some some would have converted because of the example of of Catholic chaplains like Father Willie, um, and some of them would would say to their friends, you know, look, the the uh, there's something about him, there's something holy about him. I saw when he blessed me, a feeling went through me, or when I looked at him, I, something happened to me. So we had this kind of impact on others. Um, so you know, a very unifying figure in in that sense. Um, he he has described, you know, for instance, what trench life was like, you know, if you're, yeah. you're surrounded by dead bodies, you know, and you're going to get vermin in that circumstance, you know, he describes on one occasion, we have rats and fleas by the million, innumerable flies, which eat the jam off your bread before you can get them into your mouth, smells wondrous and varied, not to speak of other unmentionable things. He describes sleeping in his dugout and being woken by rats crawling over him at nighttime. Um, just really unpleasant circumstances there was a uh, it was pretty big oh yeah i think one of them was actually was actually a dog he thought it was a rat and it turned out to be a, a dog in the trench but certainly there were rats crawling over him uh big big rats there was as i call it the tragic tale of the plum pudding because his sister-in-law sent over a christmas pudding i, I don't yeah. know if you have christmas puddings in the u.s but you know let's just say if you're in the trenches you'd look forward to getting a christmas pudding so it arrives in early december 1916 and he takes it and puts it in the corner of his dugout. So his dugout is the men are in a trench uh, and the dugout is just kind of dug out of the wall of the trench. It's like a little room that they can live in or sleep in, live. I mean, it's you not know, so much of a, of a life being in that, but he put the uh, plum pudding aside and then with his men, he went to take it up again on Christmas day and he discovered that the rat had eaten its way into the middle of the Christmas pudding but such is the nature of life in the trenches, the men finished off whatever was left over. So our normal sense of hygiene and, and all of that squeamishness goes out the window, such as the, the nature of sufferings that, that they had there. Um, you get a little liberal on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, always cheerful uh, and telling jokes. I mean, on, on, on one occasion he wrote, you know, he, he visited a church out there in, in northern France, northern France. And he says there was a plaque that a man had put up for his wife. Mm -hmm. And he says, written on it were the words erected by Monsieur X, whatever his name was, in honor of his dear wife, Marie, who lived 79 years, four months and six days. They were married 55 years, nine months, two days and seven hours. Rest in peace. And Willie's comment in a letter home describing a plaque, a letter to his father said, there's nothing like being accurate, but possibly this unfortunate man wanted to record that he had so much of his purgatory already done. <laughs> so down to the minute, I want everything counted for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Count all those minutes. So, um, you know, that's just the type of man he was. But but yet he's living a really intense spiritual life in the midst of that. Um, and so, for instance, um, you know, praying as much as he could. I mean, obviously he's called out to help the men, so he has to kind of pray as as he's helping them. So he's constantly saying aspirations. Also mortifying himself, doing penance, fasting, giving away his food uh, if the men are lacking it, um, suffering at the hands of his his servant or an orderly that he would have had, uh, who seems to have been a little bit, uh, let's just say, not very practical. So occasionally he would, um, Willie describes that he made tea from water that was 
uh, that dead bodies had lain in, uh, washed his boots in a cesspool and things like that. But Willie accepted these as, as a penance and as a way of becoming patient. Um, there were occasions when he spent entire nights in prayer. And uh, we know one of those nights was for the poor Clare Convent in Cork. They were having some difficulties at the time. And he wrote back to him and said, look, I spent all night in prayer in the trenches for you, uh, for whatever that particular difficulty was. So again, he could have been having rest. And here he is all night long praying. He would have carried the picks uh, around his neck uh, on a chain, had the Blessed Sacrament with him. Um, and he described on one occasion that all the sufferings that he had in the war would have been worth it just to be that close to Jesus and have the privilege of having our Lord resting uh, over his heart in the picks. Uh, so tremendous devotion. Um, to the Blessed Sacrament. Could you um, possibly read the Mass of the Dead on October 11th for everyone? Yeah. So this was after the Battle of the Somme. Uh, so an incredible, you know, one of the worst, worst battles. And, uh, you know, Father Willie's always looking for those occasions to, 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 to say Mass. And he says, um, on this particular occasion, he says, by cutting a piece out of the side of the trench, I was just able to stand in front of my tiny altar, a biscuit box supported on two German bayonets. God's angels, no doubt, were hovering overhead, but so were the shells, hundreds of them. And I was a little afraid that when the earth shook with the crash of the guns, the chalice might be overturned. Round about me on every side was the biggest congregation I ever had, behind the altar on either side and in front, row after row, sometimes crowding one upon the other, but all quiet and silent, as if they were straining their ears to catch every syllable of that tremendous act of sacrifice. But every man was dead. Some had lain there for a week and were foul and horrible to look at with faces black and green. Others had only just fallen and seemed rather sleeping than dead. But there they lay, for none had time to bury them, brave fellows, every one, friend and foe alike, while I held in my unworthy hands the God of battles their creator and their judge, and prayed him to give rest to their souls. Surely that mass for the dead, in the midst of and surrounded by the dead, was an experience not easily to be forgotten. I remember I mean, hearing that, I was blown away by just yeah, reading that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, silence is, I suppose, the appropriate response to that. I mean, it's such an incredible image, uh, especially we're in November now, Month of the Holy Souls. Um, you know, just just uh, incredible. Um, and he saw so much death. I mean, he spent a lot of time burying the dead, corporal work of mercy, risking his life to bury the dead, uh, going out to wounded soldiers, anointing them. Um, the faith of the Irish soldiers at, at that time was incredible because so many of them would, would have said that they could die happy because the priest came out to them, even if they were not going to get back into the trench, if they couldn't be saved. He wrote in many letters home, you know, they, they were happy to have the priest with them when they died, happy to have the last rites, happy to be anointed. Um, so that's the importance of the priest, the importance of military chaplains to be there uh, when, when men are facing death. It's the most momentous moment, most important moment of our entire lives, uh, the most decisive moment. And uh, he was there for, for many, many men. And in fact, um, some years after he died, his um, his father lived in the house by himself died in his 90s, woke up one night, there was a burglar in the house and uh, he came down 
Um, this old man in his 90s comes down, there's a burglar going through the drawers. The burglar sees the old man in his 90s. He's not too worried. He's not running away. The old man isn't going to do anything to him. So Father Willie's father is looking at this man. The burglar's looking at him. He's going through the drawers. And he picks out of the drawer a picture of Father Willie. And uh, he shows says to Willie's father, who was this man to you? And Hugh Doyle says, he was my son. And the burglar said, he saved many men. And he kissed the picture, he put it in his pocket and he left the house. So obviously a, a soldier who had known Father Willie uh, ended up in hard times and so on, but kept the memory of him alive. Maybe he himself had been saved by, by Father Willie. There's another, go on, sorry. No, I was just thinking, the stories that come from this man, that I mean, yeah. maybe people in the West, in the, uh, in the United States, North America continent, Man, we wish we had more like these guys. I mean, we might not have heard, many probably never heard of him. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he is an extraordinary figure and the experience when people meet him, when they read about him and when they read his own writings uh, is, is a strong affection and affinity for him. He excites a lot of people when they get to know him. Um, he's a very, like really, really holy priest, but a very charming human being as well. Uh, you know, he, he was he was renowned also for his practical jokes as well. Not everyone maybe appreciated the practical jokes he played, as we tend not to when we're we're the butt of the jokes. But it's a sign of, of his holiness. A bit like Miguel Pro, another other holy Jesuits like that. You know, I mean, facing danger, but, Bill but Mary, full of joy. All those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's another story. I mean, he Willie didn't tell the story, but it was the medical doctor who told it. Um, and this one blows my mind away as well. So, you know, obviously a chaplain and doctor would work quite closely together. On one occasion, the two of them were in a dugout without any blankets. Uh, it's cold. Uh, it's winter. The ground is is wet. It's muck. Um, and the doctor was sick. He had a fever or flu, whatever it was. And Willie wasn't sick. And the two of them were lying on the ground shivering. And the doctor has a fever. And Father Willie insisted that he would lie face down on the cold, wet ground and insisted that the doctor lay on his back so that the doctor who was sick would have somewhere warm and dry to sleep that night. And to me, that just that just blows me away. I mean, if that's not heroic charity, I, I don't know what is. Um, to lie down on the cold wet ground so another man can can sleep on your back when he's sick um, just says a lot about, about the charity and the love that, that he had for others. Yeah, that's uh, that's a level we don't know right there. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know, as they say, in the middle of this, he's he's living a really intense spiritual life, um, praying all the time, uh, and and you know, just looking for opportunities to try and make these men holy. He wanted those soldiers to be saints. Um, there's another, if you don't mind me reading a quote from one of his letters, which no, go for it. kind of kind of sheds light on a, a phrase in the gospel and it makes sense to me now. And, you know, before reading this, I never really understood it. Um, he's describing just a few days before he was killed in August, 1917, he's describing going out to, to help some soldiers. And he says, going up to a soldier, he opened his eyes as I knelt beside him. Ah, Father Doyle, Father Doyle, he whispered faintly. And then he motioned me to bend lower as if he had some message to give. As I did so, he put his two arms around my neck and kissed me. It was all the poor fellow could do to show his gratitude that he had not been left to die alone and that he would have the consolation of receiving the last sacraments before he went to God. Sitting a little way off, I saw a hideous bleeding object, a man with his face smashed by a shell with 
one if not both eyes torn out. He raised his head as I spoke. Is that the priest? Thank God I am all right now. I took his blood-covered hands in mine as I searched his face for some whole spot on which to anoint him. I think I know better now why Pilate said, Behold the man, when he showed our Lord to the people. I remember reading about that one. Yeah, that will stick in your mind. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, that's the nature of the man. And, of course, you know, there were many uh, Catholic chaplains who who were like that, um, who went out, got out of the trench, went into no man's land, put their lives uh, in, in harm's way. Uh, but we're told by those who were there that, that while there were many brave Catholic chaplains, Father Willie was really amongst the bravest of all. Um, so it's a sign, I suppose, of his, of his holiness. And uh, I suppose also that offering of his life that he made as a novice, where uh, he's offering himself to, to die as a Jesuit martyr. He didn't deliberately go looking for martyrdom, but he was willing to, to accept it. And he died as, as a martyr of charity. And it happened in August 1917, 16th of August, middle of the afternoon, Battle of Passchendaele. Um, and in fact, another chaplain who was meant to relieve him hadn't shown up for some reason. We're not quite sure why it was. And um, Father Willie was working day after day after day after day without any rest. And um, there were two wounded soldiers, uh, non-Catholic soldiers from Northern Ireland out in no man's land. And Father Willie went out to bring them back in, rescued them, saved them. And they were all hit with a shell and uh, and killed. And his body was never found. Um, well, his body his body was found after he was killed. Some men took um, some, some buttons from his uniform. And his pioneer pin, I don't know if you are familiar with the pioneers or that's a big thing in the US, the sacred um, pioneers of the Sacred Heart. It was founded by an Irish Jesuit. <clears throat> and there are people who voluntarily make the offering of giving up alcohol for life in reparation for sins caused by alcohol. Father Willie was a very prominent pioneer and he was wearing his pin. It's an emblem of the, of the Sacred Heart that was also removed from his body. So we have those um, kind of mementos and relics uh, of his death, um, which we will show in exhibitions and hope to, to bring around for, for people to see. Um, but when the soldiers went back to where the body was, it, it was no longer there. Either somebody else had taken it and, and buried it uh, in an unknown spot or else it was hit, hit by another shell and completely destroyed. So unfortunately, uh, we don't have we don't have a body. But uh, there was huge devotion to him that sprung up uh, after he was killed. And, and one of the things that spread that devotion, as I said, was the Arahali book. But the thing that really fed the Arahali book was um, Father Willie's private diaries and notes, uh, which were left behind in Dublin. And uh, he had a note on it saying, to be destroyed if I'm killed. And his brother, Charlie, saw the notes and just went to the Jesuit provincial and said, these, these can't be destroyed, they're too valuable. Yeah. And that's how we know so much about his, his spiritual life because he kept so much of his spiritual life private. I mean, he wasn't boasting about his, his interior life. I suppose anyone reading his life would say that was a holy man. But we know a lot more about what was going on in his soul because of all the meticulous notes. I suppose the Jesuits of the time uh, kept very detailed spiritual diaries and notes just to monitor their own progress. That's, I suppose, a traditional Ignatian uh, exercise. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Jesuit writer, Father, Father James Broderick, who wrote a number of um, biographies of Jesuit saints in the mid part of the 20th centuries, you know, biographies of uh, Francis Xavier, uh, Peter uh, Canisius, uh, Robert Bellarmine, 
uh, so some of those classic mid 20th century biographies. He described the O'Reilly biography. Uh, he said it dropped like a German shell in the midst of our Christian complacencies of the 20th century. And wow. he says it was one of the finest, wisest, and most inspiring and learned religious books ever published because it reveals this uh, working out of, of holiness in, in Father Willie's life. Um, and that's, that's, I suppose, what led to uh, the outpouring of, of devotion. And we're seeing a resurgence of that now uh, and has been growing for quite some time. So we've seen quite a number of books uh, published about Father Willie in the last few years. Uh, EWTN produced a docudrama about him, Bravery Under Fire, which has reenactments from some of his uh, war uh, scenes. You can find it there on, on, on YouTube. And um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of material out there on him and uh, we're just excited to tell people about this heroic man. Uh, excited to try and uh, push on the process for, for canonization. Um, it's very important for Ireland because, uh, I mean, while there are many, many holy Irish men and women, uh, only one Irish person has been canonized in the last 500 years, uh, which is extraordinary. And uh, that was St. Oliver Plunkett, many, many earlier Irish saints, um, and many, many good candidates uh, in Ireland for, for canonization. But uh, we're hoping to push Father Willie and uh, happy to talk to anyone who wants us to talk to them. If anyone wants us to um, speak at a conference, speak in our parish, do a podcast. We have prayer cards coming out soon, new prayer. Anyone wants them, just let us know. You can contact us through our website. So before everyone starts asking about the book by O'Reilly, is I'm going to assume that's out of print. So it, it has been reprinted by by some uh, people. I mean, there's, there's I, I, it depends on where one is at, you know, because the O'Reilly book could frighten some people away. Um, O'Reilly goes into a lot of detail. So um, and there's, if you look on the website, there's, there's links there um, under resources. So there was a book um, that I brought out um, a few years ago called To Raise the Fallen, which is it's about 200 pages long and it's a selection of Father Willie's war letters, selection of his prayers, some material there that hasn't been published anywhere else uh, and an overview of, of his spiritual life. If you're interested in his uh, military career, there's a very, very detailed book called Worshipper and Worshipped. It's about 800, 800 pages, goes into his military career in a lot of detail. Yeah. Um, if, if you're, if you have a child who's interested in stories like this, A Man of the People, a uh, children's book there, a uh, recently published book there, Much in the Presence of, of God by uh, a young Jesuit studying for the priesthood, Patrick Corkery, another excellent book. It's a book by CTS there, Father Willie Doyle in World War One. I. I think that's out of print, but I think it's still available uh, as any publication. Mary and God is, is you can find that, and also the O'Reilly book. So there's a selection of different, different books, and there will be more coming out um, on him. But a lot of resources there on the website for anyone who wants to wants to find them. Man, Pat, I appreciate your time doing this. I'll have all the links that he's talking about in the show notes. So just look underneath the video. It's directly underneath. Hit the button, show more. Bam, there's the link. Um, man, this that was, a, like I said, the book was incredible just to read. So I can't imagine how O'Reilly's book would be compared to marrying God to me. But I'll have to try to find that. <laughs> you can find it. But, but Marion God has most of the main content. So, yeah. Anything in closing that you want to mention that we didn't touch on? I mean, he does a daily, you have on your website daily uh, meditations or daily writings, daily yeah. thoughts by Father Doyle. 
Yeah. So, so mostly, I mean, I don't quite get with every single day, but, but most days I, I do. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll try and look, is there a feast day today? What did Father Willie say about that saint? Did that saint have an impact on his life or what happened on this particular day in, in Father Willie's life? So, um, we're recording this on the 1st of November. Um, so there's a quote there from something he wrote in 1916. In fact, it was uh, dealing with his own battle against his his bad temper. Uh, and um, I suppose what we would say is that, you know, holiness is not always easy and we have to struggle against our human nature. So Father Willie was, um, as I said, very strong-willed, but sometimes could be a bit, bit sharp. And we see here in his diary, which he didn't want anyone to read, but, it, you know, it's out there now. Um, his his repentance and regret that he spoke a bit sharply to someone and he was in the trenches it's you know stressful situation he was a little short-tempered with someone and then he's reflecting on how he can improve going forward this idea that you know we have to keep getting up again and again we have these little falls we the saint is the one who, who picks themselves up and keeps going and relies upon god's grace and uh i think the war did a lot to to really sanctify father willie and knock off those rough edges of, of impatience that, that he would have had. Um, what I would say is, look, you know, there's a lot of people involved in the Father Willie Doyle Association. I happen to be here speaking, but, you know, we have a committee of people and we have members all around the world, a lot of members in the US who've signed up to join. Um, so pray, please, for the success of this work. Pray that more people will come to know and love him. Uh, and if you know someone who's in need of a miracle, please pray to Father Willie Doyle for them. Um, if anyone needs to get canonized or beatified, they need a, need a miracle. And um, so please pray and help us in whatever way you can. And uh, I want to thank you, Steve, for your time, your interest and your persistence in following me up to, to come on the show. Um, I, you know, I had a good inkling that, you know, we were inching and moving uh, towards cause and wanted to do the program when we reached that point, but couldn't really tell you why. And uh, I was afraid you might have thought it was very rude or kept pushing you off or whatever. So Really happy to talk to you and uh, to talk to your listeners as well. Every, every so often, I would get this remembered. Oh, let me let me see about writing Pat back and see about this because it'd be like a month would go by, and I totally forget about it. And all of a sudden, I just thought about it. I got to hit him up. Yeah. Is there was somebody in Columbia, South Carolina, last Advent, the second week, and uh, they asked me if I was doing a uh, thing on uh, Garanger and Advent, and the question was, when are you doing something on? Uh, Father Willie Doyle. I was blown away that somebody knew about that. And I was like, man, hopefully soon. I can't wait for that. And here we go. I hope he's watching. I hope he enjoys it. But no, Patrick Kenny, thank you very much for your time and efforts in this. And yeah, may, uh, hopefully uh, hopefully, good things will, will continue to go forward in the uh, canonization process. Okay. Thanks a lot, Steve. Take care. Appreciate it. Happy feast day. God bless.